0: Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app.
1: How you doing? You know, I'm having a great time. You know what you're listening to? Lost and Rewound. Yeah, on Radio Free Brooklyn. Y'all gonna get embarrassed. It's time. Let's go <gasps>
0: Welcome to Lost and Rewound. I'm Alan. And I am the Grinch. He will be coming for your presence. The Grinch that stole Halloween. (laughs) Jimmy Hoffman joining me again for another edition of Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn here every Thursday at 3 p.m. on the East Coast. If you want to contribute any amount of money at all to make our show sound even better than it is now, because it's so great, not. Um, please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge.
2: Or you can donate directly to our show and keep the fuel going direct to the show. You can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash L-A-R.
0: If you want to contribute to any of your old audio, feel free to email us at lostandrewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We'd love to hear what you got.
2: All of your olden tapes, dust them off. Get out
0: all the old recordings that you
2: had from years past. Yes. Of people like Deckard Kane. <laughs> Wait, who? You don't know about Deckard Cain? Nah, nah, who that? He's a wise and sage that leads you through a video game that came out in 1995 Okay, which game was that? <laughs> Diablo 2 Oh, wow, that's bringing it back, dude Yeah, man You know, you never forget fighting
0: against the spawn of evil Speaking of the spawn of evil, no kidding Let's get started with our show Fifteen Halloweens ago, I was a sophomore at Ithaca College, taking part in the annual student-run Shadowcast production of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I played Riffraff, And a spiky-haired kid from Yonkers named Andy Stitch played Dr. Frankenfurter. Now, you could find Andy slinging drinks in the Lower East Side when he's not ripping up stages with his no-frills rock band, The Threads. He's here with us in the studio to share a little history, crack some jokes, and play a ton of music. Welcome, Andy Stitch. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, man, I am just... Peachy, my mom would hate me if I said that. No, you're not peachy. Shut up. You have quite a history with Halloween. Would you say it is still your favorite holiday? I know it definitely used to mean something a little more for you.
3: Well, I love Halloween, huh? but it's kind of like uh, it's kind of Halloween twenty four seven for me. Unfortunately, as a guy that's is like pushing forty and still wears black every day and tight <laughs> pants and spikes his hair up to the high heavens. <laughs> I, I like re- it. I like it. <laughs> I remember when I was a freshman in college, my flatmate or whatever from across the hall knocked on my door and he's like, Hey, I need a Halloween costume. Can I go through your closet? I was like, Dude, get <laughs> the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a costume. This is me.
2: This is. Going against everything that I was taught.
3: You were a darkness of
0: my soul.
3: You were a BFA theater major. Is that correct? Uh, no, I was a B.A. drama major. OK, I wasn't good enough for the major leagues,
0: but you got a chance <laughs> to do a lot of stage productions uh, even so or was it uh, simply limited to the shadow casting with no, Frank I, did,
3: I did a handful of things over the years until I realized that uh, I didn't really much care for acting or that I didn't really much care for other actors part of the reason i kind of lost my uh, lust for it i did some shakespeare i did some small like black box theater things did a couple commercials failed miserably at trying to get film roles i'm one actor in new york that never ended up on law and order <laughs> dude you you were in a cadaver <laughs> no right the, the role i was born to play <laughs> the role you were born to lay <laughs> you were
0: playing music and you were acting a lot as a kid Obviously, you felt more inclined for music as your main source of creative output. Well, of
3: course, because, you know, when you're acting, you're pretending to be somebody else. When you're playing music, you're being yourself. You're being every true instinct of you, unless you're a complete utter bullshit artist, which you know a lot of musicians are. But I like to think that all the shit I play comes from the heart,
0: which is probably why it's so bad. When you would come to the city it was always seeing shows that were bands.
3: Yeah. no, I, I grew up in Westchester County, so I would just every weekend or every Friday night just get on the Metro North down to the East Village and pop into clubs like Continental or Coney Island High or Brownies and CBGBs back when it was somewhat okay. Rest in peace. Mm. Yeah, I just loved going to see live music, going to see punk rock, and you know, that was the energy and the shit that I wanted to do, The you know the place I wanted to be, what I wanted to do really per se, not getting on stage and being like, now it was the winter of our discontent more of like, you son of a bitch. Ba, 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 ba. Oy, oy, oy.
0: <laughs> you have an older brother. Uh, would you say that your older sibling was one of the reasons that you got into the music you got into, or was it simply just on your own?
3: Oh, completely the opposite. I think when I was in high school, I was listening to punk rock and my brother was listening to hip hop. Like most things in my life have always been kind of reactionary. You like that, then I'm going to like the exact opposite. Classic younger sibling bullshit act you
0: do that is true my sister definitely glommed on to some artists that i liked but she went a totally more indie direction than i did you know became a huge fan of the pixies by the time she was maybe like 17 years old Mm. and i didn't own one album by them she just like decided like this is mine you can't have it i'm into this not you well isn't
3: that the, the joy of being a teenager and discovering a band that nobody else knows about this is mine Nobody has this. And that's why, you know, I, you know, in the punk rock community, you always get pissed as much as you wanted your favorite bands to succeed. You know, when like the Mighty Mighty Boston's got an MTV single, people suddenly hated them. They're like, no, no, no. This was my band. This was the only thing I knew about. Now fucking that bitch cheerleader in high school fucking is singing that song. Fuck that. I hate that band now. Which is a completely childish thing to do. You know, you should be happy that your favorite band can actually pay their rent and eat now. But, you know, when you're 16 and just Full of piss and vinegar, that's how you react. You know, when I was younger in the early 90s, like, you know, the whole Seattle scene, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains... And then as I got you know older and actually got into, like, you know, more underground stuff, like the Ramones were, like, mind-blowing when I first heard them. The Clash is still the band that I listen to every single day. For local bands in New York, you know, the Lower East Side Stitches, which the first time I saw them, I absolutely loved the band. And then I ended up bullshitting my way into those guys' lives and, you know, 10 years later joining the band.
0: We'll get a chance to listen to some of that later, for um, sure.
3: You know, Jersey bands like the Bouncing Souls and the Blank 77. You know, like you know, even underground bands that people, like, never even heard of, like, you know, in the ska scene. My friends had a band called Jiker that I grew up in the same town as, and I loved that band. There are a lot of, like, ska bands coming out of Connecticut, and, like Johnny Too Bad and The Strikeouts, and kind of just fell in love with and just ran with. And then the beauty of New York in the 90s was you could just show up at the club and see four great bands that you never heard of and then just become enamored with. Nowadays, they go to, like, time slot shows. They'll ask, so what time are you playing? Oh, we're playing at 9 o'clock. Do you really mean 9? So if I get there at 5 to 9, I only have to wait 20 minutes to see you. Because as soon as you guys are done, I'm leaving. You know, the days of, like, you would show up at doors, watch all the bands, and then leave when the bouncers were finally kicking you out. Sadly, I've kind of gone the way of the dodo. Especially in the city.
2: It's like that every moment of my day has to be allocated mm-hmm. to something that is furthering my New York dream. I personally budget my time and will think to myself, is this worth the time? But, but honestly... I'm one of those people where I stick around at shows all the time because I hate when people perform and leave. In my mind, the courtesy, especially if you're going to do, like, a mic or something, is minimum you stay for one person after you. Mm-hmm. if You really have to go.
3: But if you really don't want to stick around, like, stay for two. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not even just the fans or the people coming to the shows. It's the other bands, too. Like, they'll show up a half hour before they're supposed to go on, and they'll leave a half, after, a half hour after they've finished their set. It's like, dude, you know, so show some, you know, loyalty, some camaraderie. Like, we're all in it together unless the band that plays after you really fucking sucks, then (laughs) feel free to take off. Well, I mean, that's the unwritten rule that if someone
2: poisons the the room, that you're allowed to relieve. (laughs)
0: There, There is a new sense of leadership that you have as somebody who not only is a part of the music scene, but has a role in booking bands, too, because by working at bars and event spaces, uh, a.k.a. Fontana's, rest in peace. Loved that place. So, so sad it's gone. You had a big job in booking certain acts there.
3: Yeah, Fontana's was great. I was the general manager of the place for uh, close to eight years, unfortunately. We got priced out of Manhattan, as most things tend to be doing these days. But, you know, it was kind of being a jack of all trades. Like, you know, we had outside bookers and things. But, you know, occasionally I would put on my own showcases and like try to get the best bands and get things that work together. Because, you know, back in the days you would have a night and it would be sort of a similar genres of music. Everything's kind of a la carte these days, which really bothers me. Like a country band will go on, and then a metal band will go on, and then a hip-hop act will go on, and then a punk band will close the night out. It's too schizophrenic. It's like, let's get some bands. They don't have to be the same genre, but be in sort of the same vein. Like, at least, like, these bands will get along, you know, or have, like, some friendly competition with each other, not just be completely in two different directions. And then
0: maybe you'll actually be able to keep those folks in the venue, and they won't want to leave right after a certain act goes on.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the smoking ban didn't uh, help either because suddenly everyone goes, oh, no, I'm just going outside for a cigarette. I'll be right back. Pfft, they're gone halfway down the block.
0: You get it. You know, because you've been in that same position once before in some capacity when you were trying to make an impression.
3: Well, yeah, the worst feeling in the world is like when you're 17 and, you know, you book at CBGB's for the first time and the room is packed. And then, you know, the band finishes and you're like, oh, okay, we got to get on stage as fast as possible because we want to keep this crowd. And then you set up, you tune, and you get your sound check a little bit and you turn around and the place is fucking empty. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love when somebody has a rocking
2: crowd and you're following them and you're like, oh, I'm going to eat up all their momentum. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump on, yeah, let me, like, exactly, let me get on stage as fast as possible before they do leave, yeah, I mean, exactly, and it's like a mysterious specter came through the room and
3: abducted everybody, <laughs> you know, and you're like, what, the, what is going on, where am I? What I was, didn't realize I was opening for some sort of fucking silly illusionist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was the band that, uh, you were performing with at CBGB's?
3: Uh, the tape you have in your hand, uh, oh, really? Lucky 13, Tell- my high school band, a very, uh, generic name for a 17 year old punk rock kid from the burbs trying to act all new york and cool that was my band we played in uh, my drummer's basement wrote some shitty songs and i was the lead singer with a very very teenage voice that cracked and didn't hit the notes correctly before i properly learned how to sing uh, quote unquote uh, probably <laughs> still sound like garbage we were just a bunch of jerks <laughs> how did you how did you connect with them uh, well, I went to high school with two uh, – well, no, one of the guys in the band, and then the other two, they went to neighboring high schools. And, you know, there weren't very – a whole lot of, like, rock and roll, punk rock kids in Westchester at that time. Like, you know, this was like a club scene and a lot of guidos, and guys would rather go to the Tunnel and Sound Factory on the weekends than go see punk rock shows. So you felt very alienated in the burbs. Oh, the pain of the middle class. <laughs>
0: this is a first song that's on this album called Dead End Riot this is an EP released by Lucky 13 in 1990
3: I'd say 99 or 2000 that son of a bitch came out
0: let's take a listen Yeah, dude,
3: when that was recorded, someone was born that is now going to college. <sighs> that hurts <laughs> my hip. Someone was like, Let's make this baby before Y2K happens. <laughs> that's why this generation sucks. <laughs> All their brains weren't Y2K compatible.
2: It was like the baby boomer generation. It seems so foolish now, but. At the same time, there was a point when people wouldn't come out of the cave. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You found this tape. You only just found this tape recently because there was a little bit of a move going on with your parents?
3: Uh, Yeah, actually. My parents have abandoned New York and relocated to Florida. Sunny, sunny Port St. Lucie, Florida. That's, as that's uh, really original. New York, uh, as, <laughs> as New Yorkers do. That grew up, you know, in the Bronx and uh, Alphabet City. Once they uh, reach a certain point in their life, they say "screw winter" and they move down to Florida. So I think you
2: just develop a cold allergy at a certain <laughs> age. You know, I just I don't do cold. I just don't. I just don't do
0: it. You found this tape. You found probably a whole bunch of photos and videos and everything. And and what was it like to? Come back and see and hear all of these sounds and visuals for the first time in who knows how many years.
3: Interesting, to say the least. You know, the, the music, like I've always, you know, I still know those songs, like I still know the lyrics to them, everything. I haven't listened to them in God knows how many years. Everything just gets thrown in a box. And then, you know, one day you get a phone call, I'm like, all right, come and get your shit. And then you load it into your much smaller apartment and go, okay, I got to find a place for all this garbage and maybe throw some of it out. And then you go, oh, look at that. Oh, man. I used to wear some silly ass clothes. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: was I really wearing Hawaiian shirts with suit jackets?
0: Yes, you what were. What's wrong with me? Well, if the mighty mighty Boston's could get away with it, <laughs> yes, you could too. You brought your guitar with you, and you were going to play something of uh, your own solo variety.
3: Yeah, when I'm not playing punk rock and rock and roll stuff around town, like you know, I noodle around just doing some solo stuff. Usually, it's easier to hide behind uh, electric guitars and drums and basses because uh, you can't pick out all the flaws. So when you're playing acoustic, it's like,
0: oh, shit, I actually probably should practice more. When did you write this song?
3: I wrote this song about two years ago, back when my singer Mick was on a little bit of a hiatus, spending some time out of state. And I was just kind of writing some stuff for myself and seeing if I could be the lead singer of the band for a little bit. And, you know, it didn't work out. He came back, thank God, uh, because he's better than I am. But it's kind of nice just to have stuff for me. Personal. You know, I wrote it with the other guys in the band, The Threads, but I you know, came up with the lyrics myself. And it's a song about a fictionalized girl, an amalgam of different women I've known over the years.
0: A casserole. Uh, yes.
3: A casserole <laughs> of ladies. <laughs> I guess you could put it that way. <laughs> a
2: bouillabaisse, if you will, of ladies. A gumbo, if you will, of all the women. A uh, B girl boo ladies.
0: <laughs> As right. we
2: say for, for all our folks that are listening in New Orleans.
0: Yes. <laughs> Andy Stitch, about to play an acoustic joint right here on Lost and Remound.
1: So I stumbling out of the Continental. Looked at me and said, Hey, babe, let's go. Do you wanna get yourself into trouble? Didn't know what I. Info up in Downford Avenue. It hey, is so wild, and I suppose. Got tattooed arms and a sinister smile. Hey, baby, try me on. A whiskey, eight pints of beer. Said, you know, we're all that temporary. I was way too drunk to care. Up in Sanford, I have Tattooed arms and a smile
0: really gotten a chance to personally hear you uh, just sort of like more stripped down. I feel like I was getting a personal concert right there.
3: He yeah, has uh, a little more somber, a little less screaming and yelling and spitting beer at the audience. Which I could do if you want.
0: <laughs> if it was possible. <laughs> if, you, if you
3: spit it directly in your mouth, it'd
0: be, it'd be okay. <laughs> like a baby bird, you know. <laughs> well, one thing I did notice, I took my headphones off for just a quick second and could barely hear you sing, but then I put my headphones back on and your voice is crystal clear.
3: Well, it's funny because, you know, you can sing in different ranges. and But when you're doing an acoustic, it's kind of like you use your lower, like, Springsteen register instead of doing your screaming, yelling, like, punk rock. You got an acoustic guitar in front of you. Come on. Take it down a little timbre. Sure. I know people who come
2: and try to, the guys that try to belt, and they don't necessarily have the pipes, Mm -hmm. and then they have an acoustic guitar the same way, and you're like, why is this the direction this is going (laughs) at this moment,
1: you know? One of these things is not like the other. Yeah,
2: you know, there's a reason why
3: all the cool kids are like, hey, man, (laughs) sound like this, baby.
2: (laughs) This is a great song, man.
3: I think it's like everyone takes it from old blues artists. Like, all right, baby,
2: let's get sexy. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I mean, think about it. It doesn't take a person from even this culture. Someone doesn't speak this language. If they come over like,
3: <laughs> you know, like,
2: they're like, that <laughs> okay, guy sounds
3: weird. And then you're
2: like, oh, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> they're like, okay.
0: that. Stay tuned. More sounds from the early aughts from mr andy stitch stay
2: tuned for more 3 adventures here on lost and Rewild. radio free
0: brooklyn are back with any stitch dude you brought plank boys songs yeah could you explain a little bit about who and what the plank boys are
3: when i arrived in ithaca new york in the fall of 2000 i met a bunch of yahoos my freshman year in college and we started a bit of a like a punk rock crew yahoos you say yeah little crazy people people i love to the dying day i mean um, you got surround yourself
2: with maniacs, you know.
3: Exactly. And, you know, you're young. You're on your own for the first time. You meet a group of like-minded people. So what do you do? You basically start a, a club. How quickly? Uh, I didn't get the official name for a couple months, but, you know, I think I, I met Ted, the bass player, this first night of college.
0: The Plank Boys was my introduction to you, as well as Rocky Horror, Andy. We went to college together. You were, like, the coolest person I knew because you and these folks had your own house that you called the plank house yeah
3: coolest person you obviously didn't know me very well (laughs) (laughs) i'm a jackass a couple guys you know there's only a few of us actually went to school and the other ones just lived in ithaca and um they got a house which you know was called the plank house and there was a little room on on the side off the, the living room where uh you know there was a drum kit and there was an amp So, you know, oh, I have a guitar. Let me come over. Let's plug in. Let's just screw around and play some songs. And that became a nightly thing. And then, you know, different guys got added and different people would sing. And then suddenly you have like a six-piece bar band, which you, you know, couldn't think of a better name for. So you just called the band the Plank Boys as well. And you played house parties and you played small rock and roll clubs in a small town. And, you know, you played in front of college kids. You played in front of locals. You played in front of anyone that would listen you know, and then, you know, you moved houses after somebody got kicked out of one house and then suddenly you're playing in an attic and then you just open up all the windows and open up the front door and say, you know, BYOB and suddenly it's a giant house party and the cops show up and, you know, it's the joy of, you know, being that age and being in sort of a no consequences environment like a college town because, you know, we weren't like lighting the place on fire most nights. But uh, you know, some of the nights, not all. Some of the nights, night. we weren't jumping out windows and doing other stupid, stupid things that would get us arrested or break our bones at a different age. Yeah, and then you know, we wrote a bunch of songs and then you know, recorded a small record that we never put out and then recorded a full length record which we put out that no one bought because we were only really huge in our own minds, which is you know par for the course, I guess.
0: You're a band in college that wants to be able to sell records, so you kind of have to be your own best fan. Yeah,
3: Yeah. and you know, it's also the pipe dream of being like, we're going to stick together, we're going to keep writing, we're going to keep putting out records, this is our life, and then, you know, a year after college, like, most of the guys go their own ways and, you know, find careers, except for me, who still sits around in a bar and plays guitar every day. Torment is probably the sappier, darker of the songs we wrote for the Plank Boys. I'm singing lead vocals on this one. I was going through a bad breakup, I was pretty down on myself I was drinking a little too much and I was scribbling words on just random pieces of paper and then I eventually put it together into this kind of declaration of all the pain and bullshit I'm going through is well worth it and kind of became my mantra for a while
4: Under my pain, Feels so well that I live there. I gotta take myself out of my my door My will
2: The boy.
0: Where does that freeze come
2: from? It was a commercial, I think.
0: Is it an Alka-Seltzer
2: commercial? Yeah. Okay. Or something like that. Tom's some some old thing. The deal was that he enjoyed the meatball. Yes. Because he didn't get heartburn anymore or whatever. Yeah. I enjoyed that song. It didn't give me heartburn. Yeah. Spice spicy meatball. needs a little in life, you
0: know? You said that there's six people in the band, so it really is very much a group sing-along like all these songs have a sense of camaraderie yeah
3: you know we were kind of just like a bar band so everybody just wanted to yell and sing along because i think a lot of the stuff that we came up with started with us just singing along at the top of our lungs to other music that we liked dance like flock of molly drop murphy's yep. the bouncing souls sports anthem for guys that don't play sports sort of shit like let's all chant along let's all grab each other almost very fraternity like the other guys in the band will hate me if I said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but let's be completely honest. Amen. Yeah, it makes
2: immense sense. College, yeah, college times. You know, in my college, it was the Dropkick Murphys were like always playing somewhere. You could always see them. Yeah, yeah. at any moment, at day. the Middle East, or something. at any moment during the day, <laughs> they were playing somewhere. Um, <laughs> and Ninety-nine new songs for the Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. They all sound like this. <laughs> When I first went to college, I was introduced to to hip hop by white kids from Jersey. <laughs> Basically, after growing up in Brooklyn and like not listening to hip hop. Yeah. I, my roommate was was a turntablist and he was spinning some stuff that was completely unlike hip hop that I'd heard before and I got into underground hip hop that I
0: couldn't really get like get on board with like yeah. a lot of the mainstream stuff that I heard. It was like that for me too in terms of hip hop, but uh more to the point of not being into something per se, musically before you get into college. Was there something, Andy, that you were not into until you got to...
3: Well, I guess I got to listen to more goth industrial music when I was in college because people our friends with were very like, let's go to goth night, let's go to this. You know, it's a great way to meet chicks and, you know. Right, the
0: haunt had a goth night, didn't they?
3: Uh, every Sunday, and then it moved to Castaways, or that was eighties night. I don't remember, but yeah, you go every Sunday, even though you had to be up at eight o'clock in the morning to the go to class, and you listen to goth music and dance and be silly and chain smoke cigarettes. Hey, if, if you look tired when you're goth, it's just better for the look. And plus, <laughs> air quotes on the dancing part, you know, it's just flailing different ways. You know, you could have no rhythm and still be like, "Oh, look at him move." <laughs> he's like he's like a marionette with just a couple of strings
2: attached.
0: <laughs> Uh, this track right here is called Skeleton Crew on the whole kind of more gothic tip, I suppose.
3: Uh, I don't know. I think more because we were just drunks and thought we were pirates and just, just liked screaming and yelling. It was kind of like a pirate group. It was definitely a pirate sort of group of people. <laughs> You're definitely a motley crew of scallywags.
0: Andy, Jimmy's favorite impression is that I have a pirate what are you talking about <laughs> don't even get me started we, we we found the full circle moment where now we all can treat this next song like a shanty i suppose Skel- is skeleton crew kind of like a shanty yeah i
3: guess so and it's, it's just a, another one of those big like let's get how how many people can we get into one room to sing into one microphone songs one of those chanty yelly screamy stupid songs about being young drunk and loving your best friends
4: Drink your beer and steal your wine We've been doing this our whole life Bunch of pirates, pillage your dream Come and steal the thousands, waiting and see Rock and roll with the roll and go Break your neck and steal your soul We're well, running we're, crude, we're, frost, and we're We like to beer, but we love some whiskey. Me and my boys, we're the pirates 'round here. Came out tonight to watch you break and We Wait, been guilty of do the give a that talk about you Drink, your drink you. Know we this all night. Drinking the wine, drinking the this the so do you watch us dead Rock the black with maniacal laughter We'll take what we want, you can keep the rest And you'll never catch us, cause we're the best We are the crew. We're gonna about you Drink your beer and do you know We've been doing it our whole night For the and way Rock and roll, all Go Make your neck and Crew, Skelson! crew, Skelson! 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 crew, <laughs> We are a skeleton crew. We don't give a flying fuck about you. we we'll drink your beer and steal your wife. We've been doing this job. You're a pirate in the sea coming to town just wait and see Rock and roll is our only goal break your neck and your soul Here I win! <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, that I was that rich. I like all music that has a little bit of talking at the end, like just a couple of like loose phrases, typically that are
0: disassociated with a song. Yeah, people just run out of freaking mouths, so like
4: "oh, mashed potatoes and whip." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jimmy was making a comment during the song It sounded like there were 35 people surrounded by the mic It was probably somewhere around there but not quite that
3: much. Uh, Not 35 but uh, pretty close We did this entire record in 5 days
0: Where did you record it?
3: Using the Park School recording studio in Ithaca College because um, Kevin Michael, rest in peace, yes, was playing bass on that record. It was spring break and he had keys and we had no money so we kind of just recorded a record gorilla style on my notes to the faculty and went in there, brought up producer I- Isaac Rubenstein with us and And just bang the son of a bitch out. We did drums one day, we did bass the next, we did guitars the next, we did vocals the next, and then we mixed and got the hell out of there. And left no evidence of us being there. So by the time we got to that point where we were recording vocals and backup vocals, none of us had slept in days. And we just invited down everyone that we knew to just get in the room together, put a couple mics up, and scream and yell and act like jackasses. Done, my- you
0: pirated your way into the <laughs> Roy Peich Park Communications School.
3: That's the only record I've ever done that cost exactly zero dollars to make.
2: Brilliant. He's very good with his finances and his recordings. <laughs> he is very, he is a thrifty fella. You're, 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 you're saving money on
3: everything. was leftly like, a learning experience. Like, I listened back to my guitar tone on that record, and I like, just shake my head, going, ugh, oh, that is way too gainy. I gotta turn the mids down on that. Ugh, I would never record that the same way again.
0: Tell us about Bottom of a Bottle.
3: Bottom of a Bottle was actually probably one of the first Blank Boy songs. I wrote the music. Jeremy Brochier, one of the lead singers in the band, wrote the lyrics. I came up with the chorus, and then he wrote the verses. Being a bar band, being a party band, being a band that drinks too much, me especially included, we wanted to write a song that would get a crowd into it and like, get people, you know, throwing their beer cans in the air, or cheers in their pints. So this song was basically about our love of alcohol. <laughs> And uh, my mom is very embarrassed by this song. Which the first time I played it for her, she's like, oh, "What the hell is wrong with you?" <laughs> so I have to actually like, you know, do we talk to somebody? And I'm like, no, it's a joke. It's fun. It's just yeah, a, it's a camaraderie thing.
0: That's the jam right there. Along with the burp, very familiar to me. Of all the tracks of the three that we played, that one for sure remains the most associative for me with you guys when I was going to school, and every time I'd go and check you guys out at any one venue around Ithaca, that song would always close out your sets. Yeah, play that song every single show.
3: Last song for four years running. God. And then... And then AA? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way that that was going. Yeah.
0: And then Rapid Detox and AA for the rest of your life. You found kidred spirits with the LES Stitches when you got to the city?
3: Yeah, well, the LES Stitches were the band that I loved growing up and I would see every single time they played. Like I said earlier, I kind of just, you know, made friends with them, kind of always showed up and just weaseled my way into their lives to the point that when they needed a second guitar player, I got the call. Um, once again, another set of guys that I would take a bullet for and I just kind of. Fought my way into that band and fought my way into those guys' lives. And they probably regret every freaking moment of it. That band started in 1994 with Kurt Stitch and Mick Stitch. Kurt was in a band called The Raddicks. And uh, that band broke up. And then he joined forces with Mick, Todd Raddick, and uh, Damien Branica and James Bags. And they formed a band called Lower East Side Stitches. They put out three records, Snapped in 96, in 98, LES in 98, 99, and then Lower East Side in 2000, a fixture in the downtown rock and roll scene on St. Mark's Place. They were in the movie Summer of Sam, the infamous CBGB scene toward the end of the movie. They're in a movie called The Adventures of Spash Cole, starring a pre-entourage Asian Grenet. The band took a hiatus for about five years, and when they got back together in 2006, I got the Rhythm Guitar Spot. Better Than Ever is a song that Kurt and the bass player Martain wrote up in Montreal, and Mick, the lead singer, my best buddy, he wrote the lyrics sitting at South Street Seaport. We got together, we took a bus up to Canada, where Kurt and Martain live, and sat in a studio and rehearsed and wrote the song, and then... Came back down to Brooklyn at Caesars Palace in Gowanus and recorded this song. It's off a yet-to-be-released, but hopefully soon-to-be-released record called Still Bleeding that we started writing and recording in 2006 and finished recording it in 2008 and then promptly sat on it for nine years.
0: So this is an exclusive.
3: Yeah. No one's ever heard this before. Uh, well, we've played it live a few times, but uh, no, it's, this is probably the first time anyone's going to hear the recorded version of it.
0: And a total transformation in terms of the overall production value and the feel that you get from a college band, for sure. I mean, that's an established sound right there that sounds like you just got really lucky to be able to be a part of that.
3: Oh, yeah, totally. You know, they're great songwriters, makes a great lyricist, you know, it made me a better player, maybe, you know, get my chops up a lot more, play a lot faster. The nice thing is that I don't do any leads in that band because Kurt's a much more of a better guitar player than I am yeah. and has been playing guitar for longer than I've been alive. And, you know, that's the one thing that you really got to realize as a musician that the best thing you can do for... Your own style and playing is to play with people who've been playing longer than you and that are better than you because it actually makes you up your game. You don't remain stagnant just playing three chord Ramon songs and not knocking the Ramones. Those are hard songs to play because those are all downstrokes. You definitely improve and you challenge yourself to be a better player and learn different chords and different styles of playing and work on your lead chops. Like I never played a lead. I think throughout all of high school and I played kind of shitty leads and the Plank Boys, just one note melody lines. And it wasn't until I joined that band that i really kind of looked and learned and like okay so this is actually how you do an actual lead this is how you actually write a melody line it definitely improves your musicianship
0: you were always much happier being the badass second in command if anything
3: yeah all the guitar players i really looked up to growing up were rhythm guitar players you know johnny ramone joe strummer i was not a joe satriani steve Vai guy i could give a shit about kirk hammett was never like those like wanking lead solos it seemed just <sighs> superfluous extended guitar solos extended drum solos it's like what do you kiss fuck off
0: we have time for one more track called Making a Killing
3: which is actually kind of the perfect song for this program when you're talking about you know yeah, you know, rewind and you know, back and uh, nostalgia. Yeah, the song is about the gentrification of New York City and how things have changed and how the East Village is now basically uh,
0: Chelsea.
3: Yeah, exactly. And the Lower East Side is now the Upper Lower East Side. Landlords are just making a killing off people.
0: Never heard of gentrification? Was dead.
3: <laughs> You're about to hear it
0: right now, Sonny. <laughs>
2: Who's making a killing?
0: Who? We are with this show. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But not at the expense of the people who were here before us. Yeah, they when have- I say that, doesn't
2: mean we're making any money. No, no, no. Because no. <laughs> that is not what's happening.
0: That was rockin', man. That was one of the only tracks uh, that you submitted to us, of which it sounds like you are singing backup with Mick from the OES Stitch Days, yeah?
3: Yeah, Kurt and I sing backup vocals in that song as uh, that big break comes in. We chant about how much it sucks that the neighborhood's changed. And gripe and gripe and gripe as people who, from New York, or at least outside of New York, feel about the modern state of New York City. Yeah.
0: I'm not a native New Yorker, per se, but uh, I am in a room with them. So uh, I've heard it all before, gentlemen. I understand. The good news is is, is that you're making music still to this day. You're- it's
3: the only thing I know how to do.
0: <laughs> i can't do anything
3: else or at least as well as i do that and i'm not even doing that that well that's
0: staying tr- that's <laughs> staying true that's staying true to who you were back then uh you know when you were just a kid in yonkers making music with your friends that's
3: what you did in the suburbs if you were like me you just wanted to play rock and roll and have a good old time and spend as much time in new york city as possible and see great bands and try to put your own spin and your own mark on the world which i you know kind of hope i did at least in uh, some sort of somewhat positive aspect. Well, you left your mark on the show, so <laughs> thank, thank you so much for coming by, man. And I appreciate it.
0: People could check you out all over the place. You're, you're bartending in the city, and you're also on social media, or at least uh, the threads are on social media, definitely.
3: Yeah, you can find the threads on Instagram at the threads NYC. You can find Lower East Side Stitches on Instagram at Lower East Side Stitches. The threads and stitches are both on Facebook. Uh, I have not mastered the whole Twitter thing. I have a Twitter page for the threads. I rarely touch it because Twitter confuses me. And then you can find me if you just want to have a drink at the Beauty Bar on 14th Street between 2nd and 3rd or at Clockwork Bar down in the Lower East Side on uh, Essex Street between Hester and Canal.
0: Tip him well and he will have plenty of good stories for you. And I'll
3: regale you with bullshit.
0: <laughs> Thanks again to Andy Stitch. Thanks again, everybody. Happy Halloween.
2: Mm, spooky, 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 spooky. Join us again next week when we retail all of the spooky encounters
0: we had. I certainly hope so. My name is Alan, And my name is Spooky Jim. Bye-bye. Boo-bye. boo boo bye bye Lost and Rewound Radio Free Brooklyn.
2: Sort of Lost Rowan Z. That would be super funny.